We're going to continue this time of prayer tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for the persecuted church. We're going to pray for revival within our country. And this July 4th week, uh, it's very appropriate for us to pray for revival within our country. We're going to pray specifically by name for all those who are involved in ministry in the various ministries of this church, that that would start here and extend on out. So that will be tomorrow night here at the church. God has called us what to pray. What a, what a privilege to enter into the throne of grace and to, and to enter in with boldness, as Hebrews 4 says. Thank you, Tracy. Um, I want to introduce to you Avi Snyder. Avi is the, uh, came to Jesus as his Savior in 1977. He grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family uh, in New York City. Who knew that could happen? And uh, God brought him to himself uh, in 1977, and uh, uh, he is now the uh, European Director of Jews for Jesus. One of there, there are a number of materials in the foyer that we'd love for you to pick up. Uh, there, one of them is uh, one of those items is uh, a book that uh, Moody Press just published. Uh, Jews don't need Jesus and other misconceptions, written by Avi. So I uh, want to make sure that you're aware that that is there and that you can pick that up. Ruth, is, his wife, is here, and uh, uh, they are here in this area because of uh, the birth of their grandchild up in Cleveland. And we're just delighted to be able to have them. They currently minister in Budapest. And uh, we've not had Avi here before, but uh, I will tell you, you will love this guy. So, Avi, come on up, my brother. Well, Shalom, pretty good. <laughs> you know how to make a nice Jewish boy feel like he's right at home. I do feel very much at home. I'm grateful that I can be with you this morning, that Ruth and I can join you on this fine Tennessee Sunday morning. Um, I'm grateful to, uh, to Gary and to Lewis for inviting me. I'm grateful to Rachel for causing all of this to happen, I think, yeah? And uh, most of all, I'm grateful that the Lord has brought us together. Grateful that you came out. My name is Avi Snyder. I'm with a ministry called Jews for Jesus. I'm curious, have any of you ever heard of Jews for Jesus before? Most of you. Well, then I'll go home. <laughs> so, no, not yet. Every once in a while, I'll run into someone who'll say something like this. They'll say, uh, Jews for Jesus? How long has that been going on? And I usually like to say, oh, about 2,000 years. <laughs> People forget that all of the first Christians were us Jews. People forget that all of the first missionaries were us Jews. And that's who and what we Jews for Jesus are. We are missionaries. The ministry actually started about 45 years ago in the States. Now, by God's grace, we have missionaries in 14 countries around the world. As, as Pastor Gary mentioned, I have the privilege of overseeing the work uh, of our ministry in, in Europe, in the former Soviet Union, where Ruth and I lived for many years. We currently live in Budapest, Hungary. Hungary is our sixth country to live in. I tell people that whenever the rent is due, we move to another country, but that's not entirely true. Um, rather than trying to explain to you who we Jews for Jesus are, before I open the word, um, I'd like to show you a, a four-minute clip that shows you a little bit of, of 
of who we are, what we do. This is really just the street work that we do. It doesn't uh, show any of the the one-on-one follow-up work, which is very much at the heart of our work. But this shows the the groundbreaking work, the uh, the high-profile work. Um, I think it will uh, give you some images that I hope will stay in your mind and help you to remember to pray for us. What you'll see um, are actually images from um, an outreach that we had in Germany a few years ago. You'll notice my, my beard isn't quite as gray. Um, the, uh, the, the title that will come up on the screen will say uh, Juden for Jesus, that's Jews for Jesus in German. Then it will say Licht für die Nationen, which is Light to the Nations. Uh, the words on our shirts say Juden for Jesus. That's all the German that you'll need to have to be able to navigate to order, in order to, to enjoy the clip. What I want you to appreciate is this. What you will be seeing are Jews sharing the gospel with Jews, with Germans, and with Muslims on the streets of Germany. What a testimony of the reconciling power of the cross, huh? So can we play the clip and then I'll come back. I want, you to, uh, I want you to understand the heart of Jews for Jesus. For selfish reasons, I want you to pray for us. In fact, uh, just before I open the word, let me, um, let me call your attention to this card that I hope you received as you came in. Did everybody get one of these? If you didn't get one, would you slip up your hand? I've got some extras. Anybody need one? Oh, a couple of people. Okay. Maybe. Ah, thanks. This is so that you can remember to pray for us, and I I hope you will pray for us. What you can do is um, just tear the card on the perforated line. The smaller part of the card is for you to keep, and uh, later on I'll I'll give you a prayer request that I'd like you to write down on the smaller part of the card and hold on to this. The larger part is for you to fill out, and uh, you can give it to me or you can give it to Ruth at the end of the service at some point. I want to send you a free monthly newsletter. I have a very selfish reason. I want your prayers. I think that as you read about the ways in which God is using the work of Jews for Jesus globally, I think you will be provoked to keep us in prayer. We really can't do what we do unless people like you are praying for us. It's as simple as that. That's the equation. You pray, we proclaim, people hear the gospel and give their hearts to the Lord. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was the burden of the Apostle Paul. That uh, that is the burden of Jews for Jesus. I hope it will become your burden as well. I want you to know our heart. And the best way I can show you the heart of our ministry is 
by showing you a, a passage of scripture. We read it this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Uh, let me invite you to open up your Bible. Actually, you know, I was told recently you can't say open up your Bible anymore. You have to say turn on your Bible. Well, access your Bible, whether it's paper or whether it's electronic. Open up to uh, Romans chapter 1, just two brief verses, where the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, as much as is in me, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. In those, in those two brief verses, the Apostle Paul tells all of us at least five very crucial truths. If you understand these truths, if you understand these points, you will understand the heartbeat of Jews for Jesus. What does Paul tell us? He tells us what we must proclaim. He tells us how we must proclaim. He tells us why we must proclaim. He tells us to whom we must proclaim. And he tells us when we must proclaim. Let me unpack this a little bit. What must we as believers in Yeshua, as believers in Jesus, proclaim? He says in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. In verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What did Paul proclaim? The gospel. What are we, if we're sincere believers in Jesus, what are we to proclaim? The gospel. Now, you might be thinking, well, sure, I mean, that's, that's obvious. We proclaim the gospel. Yeah, it's obvious. But, you know, it's, every, it's very, very easy to proclaim everything except the gospel. <laughs> in fact, there are many good, solid, biblical messages that are not the gospel. If you are already a believer in Jesus, if you've already repented of your sins and placed your trust in what he did for us at Calvary, if you've already given him your heart, then you've responded to the gospel. And now there are other messages, biblical messages, that are not the gospel, but that you need to hear. Messages that are designed to provoke us to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Messages designed to provoke us to love each other as we love ourselves. Good, solid, biblical messages. These are not the gospel message. What's the gospel? What's the message that the people outside the walls of this building need to hear? What's the message that my 98 lucid year old father still needs to grasp? The gospel. What's the gospel? Well, the gospel is called the good news in Hebrew, Besorat Tava. And it is good news. It's also bad news. What do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? Hmm? Bad news? You must be Jewish like me. <laughs> I'm going to give you the good news first. The good news is that God loves us so much that he's provided a way for our sins to be forgiven and for each one of us to be restored to an intimate, personal, real, eternal 
relationship with him. The bad news is that we don't deserve this love. The only thing that we deserve from God is his everlasting wrath, his everlasting judgment. Why? Because we're sinful. And because our sins have separated us from God. You know, we don't become sinful. We're born sinful. We're born with rebellious natures. Want easy proof? How many of you are parents or grandparents? Okay, did you have to teach your children how to lie? Did you have to teach your children how to disobey? Did you have to teach your children how to be envious? How to be selfish? No, that comes naturally to every one of us. That's our default. We're born with a rebellious nature. And it quickly manifests itself in what we do. And the tragedy is we enjoy it. We like living in rebellion. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. And even if we change our thinking, even if we say, I don't want to live like this. I want to be a different person. I want to be a better person. I want to be the person that God wants me to be. Even if we come to that kind of a conclusion, we can't make the change. We have no ability, no enablement. And then we die. And we enter an eternity separated from God forever. And we deserve it because of our sins. We grapple through this life, cut off from God, where everything that we do is pointless and futile because we're cut off from the only one who can really affirm us for a poor job well done. And then we die. And we enter an eternity separated from him forever. That's the bad news. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from the judgment that our sins deserve. We need to be rescued from the power that sin exercises over our daily lives. When Jesus came, when he died on the cross, he took upon himself the wrath of God that I deserve because of my rebellion. He took upon himself the wrath of God that you deserve because of your rebellion. Why do you think he screamed from the cross? You know, he screamed. Do you understand that? He screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why those words? Well, for at least two reasons. Number one, he was pointing us to Scripture, to Psalm 22, which is a depiction of the crucifixion. It was his way of shorthand letting us know that everything was happening exactly the way God had foreordained it to happen. But there was another reason, I think, that he uttered those words. Jesus, the perfect man, in that moment was experiencing the agony of being eternally forsaken by the Father. And he screamed. That was supposed to be my scream. And that was supposed to be your scream. But he loves us so much 
that he willingly endured that agony so that we will never know that torment and so that we will never have to utter that scream. And then he rose from the dead. Why? Many reasons. But one of the most important reasons is so that we can be forgiven. You see, if I've caused someone's agony and death because of my crimes, and if I come to the understanding of what I've done, if that person is dead, I can never go to that person and ask him to forgive me. The best I can do is live my entire life filled with regret and remorse and never freed from that guilt of what I've caused. A corpse can't forgive. But Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. And when we come to him with repentant hearts and ask him to forgive us for what we individually and personally caused him to endure on the cross. Then our hearts hear the most wonderful words that can ever be spoken. We hear him say, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. And in exchange for the judgment that we deserve and in exchange to the slavery that binds us to our habitual sin, he frees us from the judgment. He rescues us from that. He rescues us from the power that sin exercises over our daily lives. He gives us a new relationship with the Father, an everlasting relationship the scriptures call it the gift of eternal life. David understood this, this gift. He writes in the Psalms, he says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That speaks of his relationship with God in the present. And then he goes on to say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, speaking of his relationship with God into eternity. The gift of eternal life. And it's ours. The moment that we repent and receive his forgiveness, that's the gospel. There's a problem. You see, <laughs> when you proclaim a message that requires people to repent of their sins, people don't exactly like you very much. You ever notice that? You know, I was six foot tall before I became a missionary with Jews for Jesus. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> So Paul tells us how to proclaim the gospel. He says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, we must proclaim the gospel without fear and without shame. To be honest with you, it's one of the reasons why we Jews for Jesus are deliberately so um, outspoken, so high profile in our outreach. You couldn't see it on the clip. I apologize for that. But it's one of the reasons why whenever we go out, we always target ourselves, wearing our shirts, our jackets that say Jews for Jesus, engaging people very, very much out in the open. We try to follow ex the example of the prophets. 
and the apostles and of Jesus. But I'll tell you a secret. I am ashamed of the gospel. And so are you. We're all ashamed of the gospel because we fear the rejection of people more than we fear the displeasure of God. We are ashamed of the gospel, and so we choose silence, even though God, throughout the scripture, has told us over and over and over and over again, do not be silent, speak. But we don't admit that we're ashamed or afraid, do we? We, we say things like, um, well, I don't want to offend anybody. That's not really true. That's a little bit of a lie. <laughs> what we really mean is, I don't want that person to get angry with me. I don't want that person to dislike me. You see, the most important thing in my life is that everybody likes me. In fact, the most important thing in the universe is that everybody likes me. In fact, that's why Jesus died and rose from the dead, right? So that everybody will like me, right? No. Long ago, we Jews for Jesus made a very important strategic discovery. What people think of us is not the issue. What people think of Jesus is the issue. Whether or not people have had the opportunity to hear and to grapple with the gospel, that's the issue. I'm going to do something dangerous. I'm going to make a promise. It's very dangerous to make a promise. I'm going to make a biblical promise to you. I promise you, if you immerse yourself in Scripture for hours every day, if you spend hours every day on your knees praying, and then if you go out and talk to people about the Lord filled with that kind of prayer support and filled with the word of God, I promise you, people will still not like you. I promise you this. Jesus is love incarnate. Everything he said, everything he did was perfect love from the Father. And when we understood what he was saying to us, there were those of us who repented and placed our faith in him, and there were others of us who plotted for his destruction. Whenever the gospel is clearly proclaimed and clearly understood, polarization always occurs, not sometimes, always. If there isn't polarization, there hasn't been the clear proclamation of the gospel. The gospel defines and people have to choose. Those of you who are younger, I hope you remember what I'm about to say. Pray that the Lord will free you at an early age from caring improperly what people think of you, that you will only care about what God thinks of you. Pray that you will never, never be shackled with the chains of the fear of man, but just with the fear of the Lord. Learn that lesson now. We must 
proclaim the gospel without fear, without shame. In love, yes, but without fear and without shame. Why? Paul tells us because he says in verse 16, the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. What does that mean? Well, very simply, that means that only the message of the gospel saves. Not good works. Listen carefully. Not lifestyle. Not your conduct. The gospel is not a lifestyle. The gospel is a message. There are plenty of non-believers. There are plenty of atheists who can live a terrific lifestyle. It is the message, it is the content of the gospel message that saves. Isn't there a relationship between conduct and content? Yes, of course. Our lives should confirm that what we say with our lips is true. Our lives can even draw people to want to know what the content is. But it is the content, it is the message Of the gospel. That's why it was written. That's why God spoke. And the message of the gospel. Is the only message. That can rescue us. From the power of sin and the penalty of sin. That's it. That's why the gospel must be spoken. Stated. Declared proclaimed, explained. All the verbs throughout the Scripture, Old and New Testament, when talking about the communication of God's truth, are words that describe that communication verbally, whether spoken or written. It's a message. And it's the only message that saves Uh, We're strangers, but because you've been kind enough to uh, invite me here, I'll tell you something that breaks my heart. In Europe, mostly in Western Europe, especially in the UK and in Germany, and here in the US as well, I've discovered when I come back, there's a very strange teaching going around uh, among people who claim to love my people. First, they say how much they love my people. That's always nice to hear. I thank God for the millions of sincere Christians all over the world who have a, a genuine love for my people. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then some of them tell me something very strange. Then they say to me, Avi, your people don't need to know about Jesus to be saved. Your people are automatically saved because you're chosen. Your people are automatically saved just because you're Jews. Really? That's interesting. Um, How many of you have read John chapter 14, verse 6? It goes like this. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Anybody remember reading that once, twice? I read it twice, I think. Okay, well, what do you think? Are those words true for the people who live in Signal Mountain? Yes or no? That's a kind of a tentative 
Yes? Okay. How about for the people who live in um, Budapest, Hungary, where I live? Are those words true? How about for the people who live in Berlin, Germany? Are those words true? How about for the people who live in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil? Are those words true? How about for the people who live in Seoul, Korea? Are those words true? How about for my people? True or false? True? True. Listen to me. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, who was he speaking to? Those words are true for all people of every nationality, but in historical context, when he spoke those words, who was he speaking to? Wait, let me give you a clue. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, said to an exclusively Jewish audience at Passover, a Jewish holiday. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Apostle Peter stood before the Sanhedrin, not the Hague and not the United Nations, the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious leaders of my people, not a Gentile in the crowd. And he said, there is no name given under heaven by which we may be saved except the name of Yeshua. If those words are true and necessary for you, and they are, then those words have to be true and necessary for the people to whom he spoke. There's no other message of salvation for anyone. Therefore, the gospel must be proclaimed. To whom? Ah, Paul tells us. He says to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Oh, that's problematic. Why do you have to say that? You know, why, why, why couldn't he have just said to everybody? Why did he have to prioritize and say to the Jew first? This is... This is Curious, isn't it? You know, Paul, Paul was a nice Jewish boy from the city of Tarsus, educated in Jerusalem. But Paul was not called by God to be the apostle to us Jews. Paul was called to be the apostle to you, to the nations. And yet, if you know the book of Acts, and if you've read his epistles, then you know that Paul began his ministry in every single city by first bringing the gospel to us, his fellow Jews, from Damascus right after he got saved to Rome, Acts chapter 28. He always brought the gospel to the Jew first, even though he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Why did he do that? Was he a Jewish nationalist? No. He was a Jewish missionary called to bring the gospel to the world, and he understood the key in bringing the gospel to the world. God, Paul understood why God chose us. When the scriptures speak of us Jews being chosen in the Hebrew scriptures, it has nothing to do with individual salvation. It has to do with a national call, with a job. We were chosen to perform a task. And according to the scriptures, beginning in Genesis 12 and ending in Revelation 7, there is only one task that we Jews were chosen to perform. And you know what it is? To be 
an evangelistic light to the nations, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a community of evangelistic messengers to the nations of the world. That is the only call that Israel as a people has ever received. And that call, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, has not been revoked. I've been a missionary to my people for almost 40 years. You know why? Two reasons. Because I love my people and I want to see them saved. And because I want to see my people do their job. I live for the day when there will be waves of Jews for Jesus covering the globe with the gospel, especially bringing the gospel to the people who have hated us and sought to destroy us. I live for that day. God spoke through Isaiah and said, this people I have formed for myself, they will declare my praise. I live to see that happen. It's happening now on a small scale. It's why I love being in Europe so much. I was sharing with with Gary and with Lewis earlier before the service that a number of years ago, few years ago, we started an ongoing project in, in Europe called, called Life from the Dead. So many cities where our history is so tragic. I know these cities, cities like Berlin, Warsaw, Moscow. I know these cities. I've lived in these cities. I know the Jews and the non-Jews in these cities. I can tell you the pain is so deep still to this day. There's only one message that can touch that pain gospel. These people need to hear the gospel and they need to hear the gospel from us Jews because when we come back to the cities where we died openly proclaiming the gospel without fear, without shame as Jews, no one can turn a blind eye. No one can turn a deaf ear. No one can ignore us. I'm not saying they like us. Listen, we're Jews. We don't expect people to like us. The point is they can't ignore us. And everyone interacts with us. And everyone hears the only message that they must hear. The gospel. We must proclaim the gospel to all people. To the Jew first. As well as to the non-Jew, to the Greek. Finally. Paul tells us when we must proclaim. He says in verse 15, as much as is in me, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. The language in the Greek is very strong. It's as though he's saying, I'm ready right now. How old do you think I am? Anybody want to guess? How old? 80? If I wait long enough. (laughs) Anybody else? 59, God bless you. Anybody else? I'm 66. It's a good age. When Alexander the Great was my age, he'd been dead for 33 years. (laughs) I've been a missionary, as I said. Almost 40 years, Ruth and I have had the privilege of uh, living 
and building the work of Jews for Jesus in six countries. It's been a great 40 years. It's been a fast 40 years. Do I have another 40 years left to preach the gospel? No. Do I have another 20 years left to preach the gospel? Don't know. Do I have a month left to preach the gospel? Do I have five minutes left to preach the gospel? Some of you are hoping I don't have another five minutes left to preach the gospel. (laughs) Jesus said to his disciples in, in John chapter 9, we must do the work of him who sent me while it's day. Soon it will be night when no one can work. Soon it will be night in my life. That means that either I die or Jesus comes back. What a tragedy. (laughs) One way or the other, soon it will be night. This is the only time that I have. This is the only time that we have. We must preach the gospel now while it is day, because soon it will be night. Sometimes people accuse me of being aggressive. I'm not aggressive. You know what I am? I'm smart. I know what time it is. It's day. But soon it will be night. And we must preach the gospel now. So, pray for us Jews for Jesus, huh? Pray that we will always preach the gospel. Pray that we'll preach it without fear, without shame. Pray that we'll always preach the message, because only the message of the gospel saves. Pray that we'll preach it to all people, to the Jew first, for the sake of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. And pray that we'll preach it with a holy urgency. While it's day. Um, on that card that I pointed out to you, on the little card, would you write down the words, life from the dead? The next major campaign that will take place in Europe will be in Berlin. The end of this month. And then after that, in August, or rather September, Budapest. And then in October, Moscow. It's all part of the of the program, Life from the Dead. I'll be very, very grateful if you'd remember to pray for for that series of outreaches. In fact, um, fill out that larger card. Let me stay in touch with you through our newsletter so that you'll know specifically how you can pray for these and other outreaches that we're conducting. You pray, we'll proclaim, and the gospel will go out. Let's pray now. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that you love us so much. That you came, Lord, that you took on flesh, that you paid the price as the perfect man for our sins, that you not only died, but that you rose from the dead so that we can be forgiven when we come to you with repentant hearts. 
What a love. Would you keep your eyes closed for a moment, please? I want to thank you for listening to me. Uh, Would you listen just a moment longer? If you know in your heart that there's never been a time in your life when you repented of your sins and gave your life to Jesus, if you know that you've never done that, I urge you to do it this morning. Even now, while everybody's eyes are closed, I'm going to say a quick prayer with my lips. And if you know that you have never repented of your sins and given your life to Jesus, I invite you to say this prayer with your heart silently. Jesus, I know that I'm rebellious. I know that I deserve your judgment. But you love me. And you died for my sins. And you rose from the dead. Please forgive me. From now on, I will follow you. Keep your eyes closed, please. If you said that prayer silently in your heart, nobody else is looking. I'll ask uh, Gary and Lewis to open their eyes. But if you just said that prayer silently in your heart, would you slip up your hand so one of us can just talk with you afterwards? Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. But if you said the prayer, just slip up your hand. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your mercy and your grace toward us. Thank you that you're coming again. May it be soon and in an acceptable time. In your name we pray. Amen.